Good morning. I want to say thank you to JT, to Mike, to Justin, our musicians. Bless them real good this morning. Thank you guys. Thank you, JT. And even the praise team, I guess we'll bless the mission. Amen. Uh, yeah, we did have some. I came in this morning and they said everything is, nothing's working. <laughs> I said, well, let's just turn around and go home then. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. But I, I appreciate uh, the staff, Karen and, and Howard and everybody back there uh, just getting it done. Anyway, they were shooting the camera on the laptop and to, so we could have some words to sing. So thank y'all for doing that. My wife said, are you going to say something to the folks about that when you get up there? She said, I don't want them to thank you. It's like it's every Sunday. You know, I said, I got you, girl. I'll, I'll tell them. Amen. But uh, we do appreciate them doing whatever it took to get us some words up there this morning. Amen. Amen. So you might actually have to use your Bible today. If you didn't bring it, look on with someone else. Amen. I want to read uh, out of Matthew 25, but before I do that, we love you. Thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Uh, and if you're like me and your mom is still here, my dad's gone on a few years ago to be with the Lord. But when you still have them, it's such a blessing, isn't it? And we miss them when they're not here. Uh, my mom's with my sister today, so since she spent Easter with me, we allowed that to happen. And uh, but move out of your seat, just greet everyone, welcome them to Grace Point. If they don't know their names, ask them and let them know how much you appreciate them, love them. guys are friendly church. I love that. Could I get you to stand with me one more time? Amen. I, uh, I was kind of anxious to see what they did with the uh, title I give them, Sheep, Goats, and the Grace of God. In 30-something, 30 five, six years of preaching, I don't think I've ever preached on this, uh, I had somebody send, you know, questions, and sometimes when you read the Bible, particularly, if, you know, uh, as we talk about here often, always, every Sunday, the grace of God, the reason it's so important is because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's not of works. Your works don't have anything to do with it, lest any man should boast. I mean, knows that's the Bible. So it's not about our performance. It's not about what we do for God. It's what God does for us. In religion, uh, the focus is on the man. But in grace, the focus is on Jesus. Amen. The law was contingent upon what the people did. But we're not under law now. We're under grace. Amen. Thank God for grace. And uh, grace is not a, a teaching. We say that often around here. Grace is what? A person. And what's his name? The first time the word grace appears in the Bible, the Bible talks about it in Genesis. And it says, Noah found grace. First time it appears in the Bible. In what? In the eyes of the Lord. So grace has eyes because grace has hands. Grace is a person. 
And uh, it, we can say we're saved by grace through faith, but we can also say correctly that we are saved by Jesus. How many knows Jesus saves us? But we're saved by grace because grace and Jesus are synonymous. They're one and the same person. But sometimes when you read the New Testament, uh, sometimes particularly some of the parables, uh, you, you know, you're sitting under grace and it, sometimes you come across stuff that concerns you. Uh, I say a lot of times, I don't mean this means, a lot of times people don't, they're not worried about it because they don't read the Bible enough to know what's in there. But if you read the Bible, you have to read the Bible through the lens, the glasses of grace. Now, I've reached that age, if I'm going to sit down and read my Bible, I have to have my reading glasses on or things begin to kind of blur on me. Anybody besides, I got, I got any brothers and sisters in here? So in other words, if I don't put on my reading glasses, then I can't read very well. And if I can't read well, I can't understand. So in the same way, if you don't read the Bible, Old and New Testament, through the lens of, of grace, which is Jesus, you're going to come away very confused sometimes, maybe even frightened. In Matthew 25, verses 31, I'm going to read a little more than I normally do. Is that okay? Um, and so this is Jesus, and he's been in a long discourse here, uh, talking to his disciples in Matthew 24, now in 25, he continues on. Verse 31, uh, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you? thirsty or give you drink when did we see you a stranger and take you in naked and clothe you or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you and the king will answer and say to them assuredly I say to you inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me and then he will also say to those on the left hand depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels uh oh it's taking a bad turn here isn't it that doesn't sound too good who was it prepared, prepared for? The devil and who? Is the devil in here this morning? Okay. What about any of the devil's angels? Any of y'all present among us today? Okay, so that's, the fire's not prepared for you, is it? Right? Uh, it says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in naked. You didn't clothe me sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prison, and we didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then he finishes with this, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. Notice it says punishment, not punishing, but the righteous into what? Eternal what? We talked about that a lot last Sunday, about eternal life, what eternal life actually is. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? Amen. You may be seated. See, for the last 10 years, I know I have hammered this nail repeatedly uh, without fail, and we've talked about the grace of God, which is the goodness of God manifested to man. Uh, that Jesus paid the price on the cross. Grace is not about us. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's been given to you because God is grace. Amen? And so the good news is what the gospel is. The word the gospel that you find in the Bible means the good news. And the good news is just that. It is good news. I've said many times I was raised in church. I was raised to, to be in church. My granddaddy was a wholeness Baptist preacher. You probably nobody don't even know what that is or what that means. Uh, uh, very good people, but just didn't understand the grace of God by no means. Very legalistic, uh, very uh, rule-oriented, uh, very specific in what, how women could dress, what they could do, what they couldn't do, what they what could wear, couldn't wear. 
it was just an impossible thing to live, and my parents struggled with it off and on, and that's why there was so much hell in our home, you know, uh, growing up, because uh, my, my dad and my parents would try to adhere to what they thought it meant to serve God, uh, give up in failure, and then go the other way. And that was repeated several times, and it was just a miserable way. And it was really rooted in that man-made religion where you have mixed grace with the law. Uh, you're saved by grace, but now you're kept by your obedience, by your performance, by what you do. And salvation was something very fragile. You could lose it. And the God that I now know, and I'm still learning, I'm not arrived at some pinnacle, but the God that I know now is not the God that I met when I was 12 years old. Uh, I, I thought he was a very vindictive, punishing God. He would do these things. The reason I was having trouble is because he was paying me back. Uh, I grew up hearing stuff like God took their baby. God took my loved one. God took my job. God did this. God did that. And the church is renowned for running around saying God is in control. They post it every day on Facebook, but that's a lie. God is not in control. God is in charge, but he's not in control. Control means, uh, you know, they come up with that. Sometimes you hear people talking about the sovereignty of God. Well, the word sovereignty of God, the word sovereign is not even in the King James or New King James Bible, not even one time. Uh, if you've got a New International Version, you'll find it in there about 50 times. But it has nothing to do with what we think. We think the sovereign, which means all-powerful, uh, 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 paramount is what sovereign means. And, and God is that. He is all-powerful. But God does not control the earth. It says in Psalm 119 that the earth, uh, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gives to the sons of men. And so, so God is not in control. In other words, if God's in control, if God can't run the earth no better than this, who wants to go to heaven? You see what I'm saying? Because there's murder, rape. There's all, I, mean, it, I mean, it's horrible things going on here. If God's in control, he's not in control. But I know that gives you comfort after a storm hits or something bad happens. You go, well, you know, God's still in control. God, God didn't cause that. How many storms did you ever see Jesus send when he walked the earth? None. Jesus didn't send no storm. He rebuked them. He rebuked them. So if God is behind every storm, then Jesus would have had to been rebuking God. Jesus rebuked storms. He didn't send them. Uh, I told you last Sunday, disciples got mad. John got mad at one city that didn't, a Samaritan city wouldn't receive Jesus. John said, shall we call fire down? Burn them up. Jesus said, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're in. This whole message of grace is about the goodness of God revealed to man. I told you I grew up in a church that sung Amazing Grace almost every Sunday, but I did notice nobody seemed to be really amazed by grace. And listen to me. I never in decades heard one message on grace. Not one. Not one. You would think if we're saved by grace, that would put it up there really important to talk about it. All I ever heard if grace was ever defined would be a casual, unmerited favor. And then they would follow that by how bad you don't deserve it. And then it was always a negative bend on grace that grace was, you know, don't, greasy grace, uh, you know, don't think, you know, and it was always like a threat. And I see it all the time, and sometimes I get so frustrated, uh, you know, just looking at social media that I just will have to switch it off because I just want to go, you know, ballistic on people. When I retire from the ministry, look out, buddy. I'm going to let them have it. No, I'm just teasing. But you, you see all these posts. I, I saw this guy. He's a minister. Whatever. Maybe he just didn't know any better. Probably didn't. But he showed, you know, he, he put up this picture uh, this week. You know, it shows the one. You've know, you seen them big, white, uh, uh, monstrous, giant crosses on the sides of different roads, sides of the interstates. And, I mean, you've seen those. And it shows a picture of this cross that has fallen, and it fell right into a strip club. And, it, and he put on there, under there, God's wrath. It, all you got to do is just click on that, search that, and you'll find that's a fake picture that's been circulating the Internet for like 15 years. 
that somebody photoshopped and made it look like that. But that's man's view, and that guy is a preacher that just pushes all that kind of stuff. And he, and he pushes that, and I know where so, you know, God's wrath. You know, God calls this cross to fall down on, on the strip joint, you know. And I don't know if it was in there stripping when it falls. You know. it, it didn't even happen. Why don't you put, when the, when the churches get blown away by a storm, or we've had many, several here lately, burn in, in this region, you've probably seen why don't we put God's wrath on that? There was a church that the church facility burned the other day. I put so many people on snooze, I, you know, because I just couldn't take the comments. You know, snooze, religion, I can't deal with you. You know, because they're, it's because they, they twist things for their own convenience. You, 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 you got to decide what you believe. I mean, it's God's wrath, and it's God's wrath. He's, God's burning churches down there. I guess he didn't like your church. He burned it to the ground for you. No, no, that was, that was Satan there. And if a cross did fall into a strip joint, that'd be Satan too. Good morning. Glad you're here. We're glad to see you at Grace Point. So what about this sheep and goats deal, man? The good news is meant to free you from anxiety of works-based religion. And it's actually designed to do what Hebrews chapters, uh, the first few chapters says, to enter into that rest that God has prepared. You know, when the Bible says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you what? He's not talking about people come to me from the factory. I know y'all worked hard. Come on. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about rest from physical. He's talking about rest from trying performance, law-keeping to, to please God. I, I've grew up all my life in ministry where people, you know, I really do wish I had $100 every time somebody came off and said, Brother Dale, I just want to please the Lord. Just my heart's desire, Brother Dale. I just want to please the Lord. And I used to, you know, be ignorant of all, you know, and I'd, I'd pray with them, Lord, help them please you. But now I realize that's a stupid prayer. What do you have to do to please God? And how much do you have to do? You, you, you see, see, so, see, now I'm preaching to a grace church and you really get this. But this wouldn't go down. This go down like I used to say, like a rat sandwich to, in a lot of places. Because they're, they're work-based on that. Because see, if it's like, what must I do to please the Lord, then who's to focus on? You or the Lord? It's on you. What must I do? And how much do you have to do? Now, in this sheep and goats thing, he's talking about visiting the sick, going to the prisons, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, you know, doing all these things. And, and if you read over that casually, and the person that, you know, sent the question there, they worried about sometimes because it almost looks like that you got to do all this stuff, in other words, go to heaven. It's like a, you, can, you can purchase your way in by doing all these things, visiting the sick, going to the hospital, you know, going to the prison. How, much, how many visits you got to do to the hospital? Is that one a year? Is it 50 a year? I mean, what gets you in? How do you know when you've done enough? And, and for everybody that's ever told me they just want to please the Lord, they never seem to know when they've actually done it. And I say, well, if you're trying to please God on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think you rank right now? I've asked that. Says so on a 1 to 10, uh, 1 being the lowest, 10 the best, as far as pleasing God, where, where are you right now in your own honest estimation? I've never had nobody give me a number higher than a six. Because they're, they're performance-based. If I ask you that now, Grace Point members, you better tell me ten. Because the question is not, your question is flawed. It's not, I want, you know, what must I do to please God? I, I want to please God. But there's a real clear verse on this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's only one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. And that's not faith in your faith. That's faith in his son, faith in Jesus. So the question is not what must I do to please God. The, faith is, the, the question is, is, Jesus, is God pleased with Jesus? So anytime now somebody says that, and they still do, and I'm not mean about it, they say, I just want to please the Lord. I say, listen to me, let me ask you a question. 
is God pleased with Jesus? And they'll always say yes. I'll say, well, you're born again, right? Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. If any man be in Christ. So if God's pleased with Jesus, and if you're in Jesus, then God's already pleased with you. You know, God's pleased with you by birth, just like a parent is pleased when they walk to the nursery uh, and look at that newborn baby. They're pleased with that baby. They don't go, nah, I don't want that one. Send that one back. How about hand me that one over there on the third from the left? A parent doesn't do that because it's by birth. What makes a sheep a sheep? Is it doing all these good things? No. What makes a sheep a sheep is, is that they know their shepherd. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what the Bible says. We, you know, we we interpret Jesus' words here, if you're not careful, as kind of self-salvation, is something that if I feed the hungry, if I do all these things, that's not what saves us. And and it's not good works that gets it done anyway. In Matthew chapter seven, remember Jesus was talking to people there. He didn't call these people goats, but he called them wolves. And he actually said they had done many wonderful things. Or they said to Jesus, and he didn't deny it. He said, they said, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. Jesus didn't say, no, you haven't done any wonderful works. He just said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. And, and so good works cannot represent the recipe for salvation, and, and they're not the recipe for salvation. The, the sheep and goats are not separated on the basis of what they've done. The sheep and goats are separated on based of their identity. Do you see that? The sheep go one way, the goats go another way. And, and, and notice what's the first thing uh, that the king says to the sheep. What's the first thing in Matthew 25, 34? This is the first thing that he says to the sheep. Now listen to what he says. Come, you who are blessed of my father. You're not blessed by your works and what you've done. You're blessed by who? By the father. That's grace. He says, inherit the kingdom. You don't earn an inheritance you inherit it. You inherit the kingdom prepared for you. You inherit the kingdom of God. You don't earn the kingdom of God. You're not earning wages for the good things that you've done. The sheep are blessed by the Father, not by their works. Can you say amen? They inherit a kingdom. They don't, they don't earn it. So what makes a sheep a sheep then? If it's not by works, then what? Instead of putting a religious spin on what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 25, why don't we let Jesus interpret Jesus? That sound like a good idea? So this is what Jesus says makes a sheep. John 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. How many believes that? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus said, what makes a sheep a sheep is they heard my voice, they responded to it, and they know me. They've accepted me. In other words, they put their faith in me. Amen. And so a sheep is somebody who knows the good shepherd who is Jesus. And, and not only does they know him, he knows them. And then it says, uh, I will, in verse 28, I will give them eternal life. What did, how did they get eternal life? Give them. That's called a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It's not a wage that you earned. And he says, I will give them eternal life, and they shall never what? perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand so the sheep are given eternal life because eternal life listen to me is a gift now if you're involved in hospital ministry prison ministry clothing the naked feeding the this church we do that every week we feed the hungry every week and this church has done that uh, long before I got here with this inception and that's through the food ministry and every Tuesday, people line up here, and there's people, any of you and all of you that work here or, or ever worked here in the food ministry, just stand up. Let me just see. I know Janice, then it, it wants, if, you, if, if you've worked in there now or ever have, stand to your feet. Amen. Would you just bless them? Look at it all around. Now, we, we don't, I don't have the time, we don't have the time every Sunday to tell you all the things that this ministry does. But you can get involved. If you say, I want to help, a lot of times this is one of the first places we get you plugged in because there's something about doing that. Now, I, I made a decision when I became pastor here, we will never materialize these people. In other words, we'll never use them for, for advertisement. We'll never take pictures of them standing in line and putting it in the paper and say, look what we're doing. We, we just wouldn't do that to people. 
But we, you know, we don't, if you don't understand talking about food, we don't cook a meal. They, they don't sit down and eat a meal. We give them sacks or boxes of groceries. Now, most of those groceries, just about all of them, are we buy from the, a second harvest, which is a, is a great ministry in itself. And so we buy those groceries at a discounted rate. They're brought in here, forklift, pallet, truck, and, and, and those things are dispersed out uh, to the people that, that need them. And I remember when I first came here and the church was very, very financially strapped and, and, and I had to make tough decisions when I got here. We had to lay, uh, you know, let people go. We, we, you know, the church couldn't operate. It had gone through a very difficult time. I didn't come in as the Savior to save nothing. I can't save myself, much less a church, okay? But I came to, because God sent me to do the best I could with what I had to work with. And I remember that we were, uh, we were I was talking with some of the elders, and I said, we, we may have to shut this down. It's costing us about, like it is now, $1,000, $1,200, $1,500 a month. And that's good as long as you've got it. But if you don't have it, you can't pay it if you don't have the money. And, uh, and so the, the guy at Second Harvest that, that was the head of it, I forget his name. I don't know if he's still the, the same guy. He wanted to meet with me, and I, so myself and, and uh, Pastor Martin and uh, Crawford Powell, we, we went to Second Harvest and met in the guy's office. And this guy implored me. He pleaded with me. He said, Pastor, please don't shut down that food ministry. If there's any other way, please. He said, you don't understand how important it is to people in this city and how, how logistically important y'all are. And he said, you're feeding the working class poor. That's, I mean, that's what he told me. Uh, now, I don't know if the demographics and all that have changed, but you're, you're feeding those, you're, those people. They're working. They just don't quite have enough to make the ends meet, and, and, it, and it helps fill in that gap. And he said, if you can, any way you can see your way to keep that ministry going, please do it. So I came back, man, my heart was so burdened. And I told the elders, I said, we got to do something. We got to do something, man. We, we, we got to keep the, the feeding going. And so Pastor Keith Stith that, that runs the House of Grace, and he's not here today, but some of these men are. And what a blessing. This is a, a House of Grace is located in Cook County, and Pastor Keith has done that for years. And these men come and it's a residential ministry where they can come and live. They're not charged a big fee or anything like that. They're not, they're not charged any fee. And they can come and, and they can get help with addictions or whatever that their issues are. And I love those men and I love Pastor Keith and I love these, these men. And so many of these men have graduated and gone on and, and just done wonderful things. And, and, and we pray for them. And I have ministered and been part of that ministry for years. And, uh, and so I called Pastor Keith and I said, Pastor Keith, can you help us? And I knew at that time he was involved in getting stuff from Lowe's and Home Depot and people would carry it back and they really wasn't nothing wrong with it. They just didn't, they had to pull it, you know, two extra times to get it cranked, you know, their, their weed eater. And they carried it back, you know, they got mad with it. And so he would get these things in and then they would turn around and sell it and they would use it to support the ministry. And so I said, can you give us some stuff, you know, that we can get in on that. And so we started selling stuff here at the church and we did that back at the back and we made a place for it. And for months that kept us going until the church began to, to get past that, that critical time. And it's always gone on. And so I don't talk about it much. I thought since I opened that uh, uh, case of food, I'd talk about it a minute. But if you want to be involved in something that touches your heart, uh, they, they give them food. We don't make them say, uh, can we pray with you? And then, you know, if you let us pray, then we'll give you some food. We don't do any of that. If we, we do ask them if they want us to pray with them. Is there anything that we can pray with you about? If they say yes, we pray. If they say no, we give them the food. It, it, we're here to feed people. Amen. It's hard for somebody to hear about your witness to Jesus with their belly growling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I mean, so, you know, so it, it's, a, it's a great ministry. And uh, amen. Praise God. Amen. Um, but what I was trying to say, if you're involved in all that stuff, just keep doing it, but you're doing it out of love for the Lord. You're not doing it because you're earning anything. You're doing it because you love people and you love God and you're manifesting his love towards those people. What makes a goat a goat is simply what Jesus said in John 10, 26. He said, you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. Jesus said, what makes a sheep is somebody that believes in me. What makes a goat? Somebody that don't believe in me. And, and even though, listen, and you know that from the message of grace. When Jesus Christ died, and I hammer this nail all the time, Jesus came, he went to the cross, just like John the Baptist pointed at him on the day of his baptism and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin, not sins, 
plural, the sin of the world. The word sin there, if you're interested in this, and it's very significant and theologically important, is not a verb. We think Jesus took away the rapes, murders, so he did not know that. We don't understand what sin really is. The first time the word sin is mentioned in the Bible is out of the mouth of God. And that's when Cain murdered Abel. And if you're reading a King James Version, it actually personifies it in the third person. And he talks and he refers to sin as he. He desires to have you. Sin is an entity. And yes, we do the action, but it's because of that thing. We don't understand it. When the Bible says him who knew no sin became sin, none of that is verbs. It's nouns. How many knows a noun is a person, place, or thing? Sin primarily is a thing. And if you understood that, you, it would change your perspective on a lot of things. Jesus took away the sin of the world. Did that include saints and sinners' sins? Sure. He took away the sin of the world. Uh, Hebrews said he's the propitiation. He's the appeasing sacrifice for not only our sins, Paul said, but for the sins of the entire world. So Jesus forgave the sin of sheep and goats is what I'm trying to say. Now the problem with goats, the reason they stay goats is they don't accept that sacrifice. Do you know someone can, can, can wrong you or me or you and, and they can say, I'm sorry, you know, and, and we, can, we can forgive them. Or we cannot forgive them. And then we hold that against them. And every time we see them, we see they're what they did to us. And it hurts the relationship. We don't talk to them. We don't fellowship with them. We don't like them. But all Christians say we love everybody. They're just people we don't like. <laughs> Come on now. God's not like that. Over and over in the New Testament, the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. Is that what it says? It says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. If you understand this thing that I talk about almost every Sunday, and I hope you don't get weary with it, because it's the key. If you understand that the reason that in Romans chapter 10, when it tells, everybody agrees. Baptists agree, Methodists agree, even the Lutheran agree with this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody agrees. Romans 10 tells you how to get saved. But it never mentions the word sin. Isn't that interesting? If confessing your sin is the key to salvation, then Romans 10 got it wrong. Because it don't mention sin. All it says is to confess. And it uses the word confess in Romans 10. But not like the average Christian. When they say confess, they're talking about their sin. But when the Bible says confess, he's saying confess your righteousness. The word confess, translated confess in English, is the Greek word, you've heard me say it, homo logos. Homo, same kind, logos, word of God. What it's saying literally is to agree with God's word. So when you're sick, let the sick say, I'm well. I'm not denying the reality that I'm sick, but what I do claim is the truth that by his stripes I am healed. So I agree with God, no matter what it looks like to you. I agree with God. It's up to my symptoms to line up with God if I believe it. Let the sick say I'm well. Uh, let, let the poor say I'm rich, wealthy. You're saying the opposite, yeah, of what I'm experiencing. Because if your experience is not lining up with the promises of God, for the promises of God to you are yes and amen. The word amen there means let it be so. So all God has for you is concerning his promises is yes. God doesn't have a promise that's yes for this brother and it's no for you. If it's yes for this man or woman, it's yes for you too. Just because you're not experiencing what they're experiencing don't mean that it's negated Oh, for you, you might have to just stand on the word. Amen? So, so, so we agree with God. So in Romans 10, it doesn't mention sin because, listen, sin was removed by who? Jesus. It's no longer a barrier to anyone coming to the Father. That's why God's not angry anymore, no matter what the preacher preaches. God used to be angry. And that's an old covenant thing. But it's God's promised through the prophet Isaiah that when this new covenant comes, it'll be like the waters of Noah to me. I will never be angry with you, nor shall I ever remove my kindness. 
So anybody that gets up and preaches that God's angry, this is why God sent this storm, this is why God flooded people in Houston to get somebody's attention, that makes me so angry because that's the Godfather. That's what the Godfather, that's what the mafia does. You know, they got trouble in the ranks, they'll shoot a couple of people, get the attention of the rest of them. Break a few legs. Y'all better tighten up, I do this to y'all. So y'all think God goes into Houston, sends a flood, drowns a few people, shakes them around a little bit. All right, Houston, y'all better repent. Be worse next time. Or, oh, New Orleans strip clubs, all the nudity. Mm, I'm going to send Katrina in there and wash that place up. Boy, when that hit, man, it gave the preachers. Preachers had a lot to preach about for the next six months. And social media was full of garbage. That, that, that spurns the name of God. It makes God out of sadist. The God that most of us grew up hearing about is not the God of the Bible. It makes God to be somebody that is not. When you read these verses, and I, I, you know, and I got just enough time to get in trouble and close it out and let you go home and talk about me on Mother's Day. Because <laughs> there's no way I can explain what I'm about to say. But he uses these words, and so what someone had asked about, too, some of these words about eternal fire, and this is what's going to happen, you know, and it gets really scary. And they say, how's the good news in there? Well, that's not good news for the people that have rejected the good news. But now, I grew up, probably like most of you, and if you say to the average Christian, what is hell? They'll tell, you know, here, here we go. First off, they think that's where the devil lives. Because I've heard countless Christians command him to go back to hell from whence he came, which is total bull. Hell is not his headquarters. He don't live there. He don't even wear a red spandex suit with a ponytail. He doesn't have horns and he doesn't tote a pitchfork. All that was made up in medieval times. And the whole concept that we have about eternal punishment and all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's just, we, we've all been growing up on the line. And then all of a sudden right here is about the term that you're trying to figure out, well, do you believe in hell? Do you believe hell is real or not? And, and, and years ago, I preached a message here. How many remembers I preached the good news about hell? If you, if you, if you heard me preach it uh, and you're still here, raise your hand. Look at all the hands. It didn't kill them, and it won't kill you either. And, and I remember I caught such trouble from preaching that that it just makes me not want to fool with it because I'm getting too old to mess with them, I feel like. But the truth is the truth. Now, I grew up with, you know, and, and I was an evangelist in a Pentecostal church for six years, and I had, they taught, they taught me that, you know, because as an evangelist, you need to have at least five, they told me five red hots. And, you, you know, you got five sermons that you preach everywhere you go, and then you can get it done. And they said, you need one sermon on hell. And so I had me a sermon on hell. Had three points, like all good preacher sermons, three points. Hell is real, point one. Point two, people do go there. Point three, once you go there, you never leave. And, buddy, I was a paramedic for 20 years. I've been to burn calls, okay? I can describe the horror of being burned. I can give you, I can, I can, I can describe it for you. And I can carry you all through the times you've been in the hospital and you was hurting and pain and unimaginable and you was able to hit the button and call for the nurse. And they could give you something. But ain't nobody going to do that when you go to hell. You're just going to burn. You're going to hurt. And, you, and all that teaching... I grew up on that. And, buddy, when I gave the altar call on that, whew, they flooded it. Everybody come, got resaved. Deacons are getting saved. Elders are coming. <laughs> Pastors are kneeling. Because I have dangled them over hell on a rotten stick. And then I throw in a few car wreck stories. 20 years as a paramedic, I got a few of them in the hopper. And, buddy, I could get it done. Don't last. The Bible, I mean, and hell's an important thing. And yes, I believe there's a literal place. There, there's, there is fire. But the word hell 
Let me say it like this. The word hell is not in, the English word hell is not in the Bible. Now you're going to lie this, but there's no English words in the Bible. Because <laughs> the Bible wasn't wrote in English. There you go. Good morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> that was me, wasn't it? But listen, there's, when you see the truth about hell, and I don't have time today to get into it, I have taught on it here, and I have gave what I believe is the absolute truth. They are very confusing verses in our English Bibles concerning this thing called hell. But, but I, I want to say to you, the word hell is used 54 times in the English Bible. Okay, In the Old Testament, it's used 31 times. And all 31 times, listen to me, it is the Hebrew word sheol, which means grave. So every time in Hebrew that they see the word sheol, which means grave, the English translators translated that into hell. The, the early church did not know the definition of hell that you and I have in the common, especially American Christianity culture. Uh, hell is not Satan's headquarters. He doesn't operate from there. He's never been to hell. You can't command him back there because he's never been. Oh, he's going. All right, now, in the New Testament, ten times is the word Hades, which means grave. When the Bible says that Jesus, even when it says that the prophets in the Old Testament, that, that Jesus is sold, the Messiah, that the Lord would not leave his body in hell, it's talking about the grave. And God didn't. He, he was resurrected. The scripture in the Old Covenant that many preachers would quote said, you know, hell hath enlarged itself to receive those coming therein. And, and I've heard people preach sermons where like hell's building on, having to add on because so many people are going. That, that's not what the Bible is saying. It said the grave, the grave receives all those that die. And many do go to the grave. I mean, those death is 100% reality, Right? All right, but 10 times it is Hades, which means the grave. Now, listen to me. Only 12 times in the New Testament Bible is it Gehenna, Greek word Gehenna, which means the place of burning. Only 12 times in the whole Bible. And listen to me. Uh, and one time it is the Greek word Tardius, which means a place of darkness. Now, Gehenna is literally the valley of Hinnon, uh, which was the dump located south and west of Jerusalem. Now listen to me. Even though the word Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who used it, but he only actually used it on five different occasions, and the rest of those uses are just being a repeat in the Gospels of that same occurrence. Now listen to this. James and Jesus are the only persons in all the New Testament who used or said the word Gehenna. Only once. See how quiet it's getting? John the Baptist never mentioned it, not one time. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul wrote 14 epistles. He wrote one-third of the New Testament, and he never mentions it, not one time. Not once. Isn't that strange? He, he, he mentions the phrase everlasting destruction one time, and it's got nothing to do with the place of burning. Peter does not name it at all. Jude never does. John, who wrote the gospel uh, of John, and he wrote three epistles, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. He never uses the word Gehenna, which means a place of burning, not even one time. And the book of Revelation uses the word hell, translated hell, but it's always uh, the word that means grave again, not a place of burning. Now, if Gehenna or hell reveals the terrible fact of the endless woe that's coming upon the people that reject the goats, so to speak, then how do you account for such a strange silence by all these apostles? Nobody preaches about it. Now, my position has always been, I'm, I'm not going to talk about hell because, number one, how many, how many sermons do you ever hear now in, in 20, uh, 22 about hell? Preachers don't preach about it. Baptists don't preach about it. Methodists don't preach. They don't even talk about it. And, 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 but what, what it is is, okay, so God is this loving God, and he reaches out to his bride. He wants her to be his bride and says, I want you to marry me. I'm, I'm going to love you. If you'll, if you'll join yourself to me, we'll be one, one in spirit, and I'll love you forever, and you'll live with me in bliss, and we'll, you, you'll be one with me and, 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 and share my kingdom and my love. And then he gives her an opportunity to respond. 
But before she responds, he says, now, before you answer, you know, choose wisely. Because if you reject me, then I'm going to send you to hell. And you're going to burn there. You're going to burn there forever in torture and torment in this fiery lava flame, lake of fire, whatever. You're going to burn. And you're going to have a body that won't burn up so you can experience all the pain. And, and after you've been there for like a billion years and you bob back up to the top and you cry out and go, oh God, how much longer? And he'll say, you're just getting started because it's never going to end. See, people don't like it. And when I'm talking like it, it makes them uncomfortable because I'm dumb enough to go for the truth. I remember the first time I preached on that, the good news about hell, I had an older gentleman that I admired greatly uh, that came up to me and he said, and I don't think, that, anyway, I'm just going to tell you his response. He said, I always thought that. Never had the guts to even verbalize it. But he said, you're the bravest man, my bravest preacher I've ever met. And boy, that next week after this one went out on social media, good news about hell, here they come. I had one guy wrote me about 14 pages of bull. He was in one of the close round churches trying to correct my theology and understanding of hermeneutics and hermeneutics. And, you know, you can, you can go write 14 pages and say absolutely nothing. But now, if you want to believe that God is a sadist, I want to tell you something about God, and i got to quit. Shouldn't even crack this lid, but I just wanted to. If you want to believe that that's the God that you're going to go spend eternity with. Now, the first thing I can tell you about this, even before I even began to understand grace, I had problems with that whole area. One thing I cannot find from Genesis to Revelation is God doing anything without redemptive purpose. And God is love. And everything he does has got that foundation. All right, so you tell me how this God, because there's two extremes today. One is universalism. God's too good, can't send anybody to hell. Everybody's going to heaven, even the devil. That's the, I know a lot of people jumping on board that wagon. And I understand why they are, because of the church's message about hell. If i got to choose, i go with them. But it's not true. To all who believed in him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. You still have to believe upon the Lord Jesus. Everybody doesn't get, if everybody's saved and everybody's going to heaven, what are we doing here? We should be at the house watching TV or doing something else. That makes my whole life of preaching the gospel just futile. But people are going to heaven anyway. What am I doing? Well, let's do away with all of it. Live your life, see you in heaven. It's, that's not the way it is. That's why the gospels are there. Preach the gospel. But listen to me. I, I can show you, and i got the scriptures up here. I just don't have the time. But I can show you clearly. The Bible says without failing, clear scripture, what's going to happen to Satan at the end? He's going to be destroyed. He will be ashes. And it, it says, and it says this, he shall be no more. See, this mess that we say we believe, this is what you believe. So you believe in a God, this, this a sadist, who only a vindictive, torturing God condemn people to a, a fiery torture chamber with no redemptive value and no end. You, that's your God? That ain't mine. And there's a lot of people, millions are turned away from God because of the church's message about hell. Hell was never meant to be some kind of deterrent to preach that and to scare people into the kingdom. It never lasts. Never lasts. With cords of love, he draws him. It's the goodness of God that calls men to repent. If there was no devil, was no hell, I would still serve the Lord. Because I love him and he loves me. I, I, I don't think about hell. I, I mean, I, I really don't. But it, it breaks my heart. And I, I don't hear nobody else talking about it. I don't see nobody writing about it. I mean, I'm not the only one with, with the belief that I have. Many believe that. And, I, and, 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 me, me, and so I'm not alone in my, my view here, by no means. And it's catching steam as grace envelops this earth because the, the, the God that we, that we say, that, that's not who he is. You, you, so you think that, that the, the devil's going to get destroyed, but yet all the people that served him is going to just keep getting tortured? The Bible never says that. If we would just read John 3.16, we could get this figured out.
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not what? They need to change that, but it needs to say should not go into everlasting punishing. But it says perish. The word perish there means be destroyed completely. Hello? The choice has always been life or death. Now, people run around and say, you're going to live forever, you've got to choose where. That's not true. Eternal life is the gift of the redeemed. It is not the reward of the damned. God refused to allow one of his creatures, named Adam and Eve, creations, to live in an eternally fallen condition. Remember in Genesis? God said, I'm going to get him out of here unless he extend his, tree, his hand to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and stay in this perpetual fallen state forever. God said, I won't allow it. And God drove him out of the garden, not because God was mad or angry, because God loved him. Anything God's ever done is redemptive in purpose. And so the long and the short of it is this, and I don't I have to, but I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where, where imagine setting here. Y'all give me a couple more minutes. Imagine setting here. See, this will give y'all time for the other crowds to get mama served, and then y'all get in there behind them and get the fresh chicken. Okay, twelve oh four, twelve oh four. I'm, I'm gonna quit here and just say, listen. But, but you, you got you got to understand because it breaks my heart because of how people view God, and it makes God out to be this awful person. Can you imagine someone saying, "I want to marry you. I want you to be my bride. I'll live you." But if you choose, I'm gonna torture you forever. Who wants to marry that guy? I mean, that's not that's not who he is. And I don't have to make up nothing. And there's, there's, there's very scripture after scripture that says, you see, and, and the modern church belief is, okay, so we all go to heaven, but over here somewhere is hell, and all your loved ones that didn't say, accept Jesus, they're over there getting tortured, your kids, your grandkids, your mom and grandma and them. Anybody that didn't accept Jesus, they're over there getting tortured 24-7 with no end in sight forever. And so, and the devil's in there, he's getting tortured, and all his demons and all of them getting tortured. And so we're over here in heaven, and we, you know, we're having a big time. But over somewhere in the universe, somewhere, God wasn't able to remove, destroy, you know, hell or Satan. He, he couldn't really deal with it. He just quarantined it. I said he just got it quarantined. See, y'all are looking at me, and, and you might not come back, but it'll just be because you know I'm telling you the truth. You believe it. You just, you just don't know where the, the verses are. Well, I can show you. And you're looking at a guy that was raised on this kind of, I was raised on it. We got dangled over hell on a rock stick every revival. They would bring in guys specialized in that. And, what I, and the motive was to scare people in. You, you, you know, turn or burn. That wasn't Jesus' message. And I'll tell you, a lot of you might be thinking about, well, Lazarus. No. Listen, you, it, when, when this thing's over, there's not going to be a devil, evil, sin. And Revelation says that anything that hurts, there will be none of that no more. And, and you don't ever have to worry about Satan breaking out and leading another revolt like he did because he won't be there. And all of those who have served him and rejected Jesus and choose that for their own path. And God doesn't curse them, they curse themselves by their unbelief. He has forgiven them. All they have to do is accept it and enjoy the benefits of it and receive eternal life. But they don't have eternal life. They will perish. And they will be put out of their misery along with the devil. And Oh, you believe in annihilation. I absolutely do. Write me down for that. There is some good news about hell. Number one, there's nobody in there right now. That brother died, gone straight to hell. You ain't got nothing for that but of, other than your misunderstanding of a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus told four parables back to back, and all of a sudden we get to that last parable, and it's like we got, you know, CNN News filming an actual event. No. And if you were Jewish, you would understand the parable, but we're not, and we don't. That's why we misunderstand so many things that because of our lack of understanding about Judaism. That's why the woman at the well is preached as a what? A harlot. Why? Because she'd been divorced how many times? 
None of those was her decision. She had no power. That means she was divorced by men five times. It don't say nothing in the Bible about her being a harlot or promiscuous, sexually promiscuous woman. Well, it says she's living with a man who's not on. It didn't say she was sexing with a man. That's your nasty mind. It says she's living with a man. Can you ever live with somebody without having sex with them? Come on. But see, because we don't understand the culture, then we, we preach her as a, and we, mis, we misinterpret the scripture. And we can go all through the scripture with those type of occurrences because we have been separated from our Jewish roots. But all I'm saying to you is in the end, Satan will be destroyed and every evil thing that hurts and all evil and darkness will be no more. The people that choose him, Satan, will receive his fate. Those that accept Jesus will have eternal life. Those that do not shall perish. They will not be held in some perpetual, eternal. Imagine setting here, and I can show you verse after verse that says the, the judgment of the wicked will happen at the end of the age. So nobody's in hell tonight. Imagine being here as a mom or dad, and you had a teenager that died in a horrific accident of some kind, and you know they were lost as a goose. And, you, and, and, and all you ever hear is when you go to church about that they're, they've been in hell since that moment. How, how, are you supposed to, how are you supposed to pray to that God that's torturing your son right now? What do you think that does to that mom and dad or that grandmother or grandfather to hear that? And not just because to, to hear it, but, but because it's not true. It's not true. If everybody gets the same punishment, then everything's the same. God's going to deal with it all in the end. The wheat from the tares. It's, 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 it's all gonna, God's going to deal with it. Those that receive Jesus when they leave this earth, to be absent from the body is to be what? But God's still going to redeem that body. There's going to be a resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first. But we see over and over that, that when you, when a saint, but when, when those that die in their sin, rejecting Jesus, they're, they're not in hell. There's no verse that says that. The early church didn't believe none of the foolishness that we believe in, in, in modern Christendom today concerning this topic. And I, I, I wrestled over this where they even, to, even even crack a lid on it. But you can contact our church here. I think I'm right on this. Pastor Johanna uh, can help you. But, but you can get, and I, and I did several messages if I remember right. I did, the first one was good news about hell. And I go through and I show you scripture by scripture. Uh, it's just not true. And then I think next Sunday I did hell no. K-N-O-W. Hell K-N-O-W. See how slick I was on that towel? I said, hell no. And I meant that I want you to know about the truth biblically about this subject called hell. God is a good God. He's not a sadist. He doesn't torture people eternally with no redemptive value in sight. I don't know how many times when I really preached on it and I could break it down and, and I, I probably I, I made a preacher mistake. I shouldn't open a subject that I can't, you know, unpack adequately for time but I just can't but because of this brother sent this in and, and it talks about these eternal stuff listen and, and I know these terms throw you off you know the Bible says Sodom and Gomorrah burns with an unquenchable fire was Sodom and Gomorrah real did it burn but are the fires still burning today but the Bible says it's, it's everlasting fire if I strike a match and I hold it up until it burns completely out that is unquenchable fire because I didn't quench it. If it's eternal punishment, not punishing, eternal punishment because the, 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 the punishment is, has eternal consequences. We don't It's eternal. Yes, it's absolutely eternal because the consequences are forever. But it's not eternal punishing. It's eternal punishment. Difference. And I can show you verse after verse. And, and when I got bold enough just to challenge what I already believed in my heart, you know, sometimes people can tell you stuff about somebody and you know what they're telling you is not true. You just don't know how to prove it because you just know them better. I just know that that couldn't be. No, that couldn't be. Mm -mm. 
ain't no way. Because I know that person. They would never do that. When I got into grace, sure enough, man, I knew that message did not bear witness with, with this God of grace. And that's why universalism got birth because the church keeps shoving that message. Well, you know, and preachers try to soften it. They never mention it. And even if they do at the first church or the fridge there, if they mention it, they'll just say, well, you know, well, it's just eternal separation from God. But if you pin them down, you go, well, what does that look like? What are they experiencing in that eternal separation? Or is the fire real? Well, yes. Is it painful? Yes. Is, is it torture? Yes. Is there any redemptive value, any... No. So you mean to tell me that God's just going to vindictively, because they rejected his son, he's just going to punish them forever with torturous pain with no end in sight. That's the God you're selling me? Yeah. Let's praise him. Are you kidding? Who, who, who's going to praise a God like that? And I have found out that when I've told people the truth, privately or publicly, about this subject, Many of them, it opens their heart to love God even the more because they know that's not who God is. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible taught. And you can, if you, if you want to study it, like I have, you, you can see that, that that philosophy, that teaching invaded the church during the dark ages. And, and, and under the Roman Catholic Church, they brought it in, scared people with a lot of that. They had to pay for favors and do all these things and stuff like that. And it opened itself to a lot of abuse and fearfulness to the Christians. Well, there's the, I opened the lid on it. There you go. Stand to your feet. What a wonderful Mother's Day message that was. <laughs> Hallelujah. I bet you never heard that on Mother's Day. I want you to know God is a God of grace. Anything that goes on that God's having anything to do with in your life is redemptive in value and love foundation. You're a sheep because you know him and he knows you. You're going to heaven by identity, not by works. You're a goat and you'll be separated if you choose not to accept the sacrifice that he sent to save you. And that's himself. God loves you more than I have the words or the ability to describe to you. And he loved you while you was a sinner, and he loved you while you were a saint. He loves you on Monday, same he does on Sunday. God doesn't change. And so I want you to know that about him. I don't want you to ever be fearful of this God. He is a father. Your judgment has already come. Well, the Bible says it's appointed unto men to die, and after death, judgment. Boy, they throw it out in their own Facebook a lot to try to scare people. And the word judgment there, translated judgment in English, is the Greek word that means katerino. It means decision. And everybody has made their decision, and once they die, that decision is firm. There's no place that you can change the decision. In other words, after you have died, you have to do it on this side. That's all it's saying. But God's not a God who would ever just do that and torture people. Nobody's there. They will go there. But how long will they be in hell? That's up to God. But they will, they will pay because they refuse the payment. They will pay for their own transgressions, what they've done, because they reject Jesus. I'd say Hitler's probably going to have it a little worse than some folks. He has a lot to pay for. But in the end, he will be annihilated. He will be no more. And everything that is hurtful, and I love how Revelation ends. It's, it, it gives us a, a panoramic view of the kingdom said all the things that hurt, all the things that are, are evil, all the things that are contrary, all those things have been removed. And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes, and there shall be pain no more. No more. The Bible is so clear on that. That verse gives me great comfort. How could God say there shall be pain no more if there's a chamber over here with people being tortured? That would be a lie. Because God says in the end, when everything is done, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're not going to the planet heaven. God's coming here. And it says, I saw the temple coming down out of heaven, dressed and adorned like a bride for her husband. 
And it says, and God shall be with man, and he shall dwell with them forever. Earth is your gift. God is going to renovate it, yes, by fire. It'll be better than we could ever imagine. And the evil and all that that is contrary to God's love and kingdom will be gone. And all those that choose that. And my whole existence is to preach the good news and tell them they don't have to go there. I don't even like talking about it. And I have made a decision years ago not to talk about it because I, I said it's for the devil and his angels. They got to do with them. They just need to believe the gospel and go to heaven. But then so many people always are asking and being derailed because of all the stuff that they see. You can't scare somebody into loving somebody. Put a pistol to their head, love me or I'll shoot you. What, what is that? God don't say love me or go to hell. No, I mean, God don't do that. It's not who he is and he's never been that God. Amen. So, Father, we love you. And we're so thankful that you loved us while we were yet sinners. And, God, it's impossible for us to love you until we first receive your love for us. I pray today that if somebody doesn't know you personally in that love and they've not put their faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, let them do it right now, Lord. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Hey, I dismiss you guys. If you want prayer, I'll be standing down here. I'd love to meet you, pray with you. Go enjoy this day. Hallelujah.